The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. And this is the History of the World podcast, unscripted. Hello everyone, welcome to the History of the World podcast Unscripted with me, Chris Hasler, uh, your host every week as ever. And uh, at the moment we're between volumes. Volume 3 has finished and we're planning the start of Volume 4 later in the year. But as usual, while we're between volumes, we always make a weekly broadcast where I just basically make uh, make it up as I go along. That's the, the, the best way to describe it. And um, I was thinking about what to talk about this week, and there is plenty to talk about, um, generally speaking, over the next few weeks. And uh, not least of all, the material that's coming up in Volume 4. But I thought this week that we might revisit something that we brought up during Volume 3, but we didn't really follow through on. And uh, it relates to something that's going on at the moment, of course, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, a lot of sporting events were postponed and uh, in some cases we didn't actually even know if they were ever going to take place but you know it's an absolute pleasure to be able to see that the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games have kicked off Um, I'm a huge fan of the Olympics I absolutely love it Um, and uh, so you know when they were postponed last year I was you know, I was quite, I was upset about that, as many other people were. However, um, obviously, the Olympic tradition is something that uh, reaches back to the period of time that we were discussing in our last volume, Volume Three, the classical world, and of course, the Olympic Games find their home, their traditional home, in ancient. Greece, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that this week. Just uh, as an unofficial episode, we're going to discuss the ancient Olympic Games and, w- and what became of them. You know, that's that's probably the most interesting thing for me is this great tradition that lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years, like nothing that the modern games can compare to. You know, what what actually happened to them in the end? Where did they go, and why did they go away? So let's talk more about the ancient Olympic Games. Well, there's a traditional date for the start of the Games that is offered, and that is 776 BCE. But when we discuss this during our normal episodes during Volume 3, we discuss the Dark Ages of Ancient Greece and how societies began to emerge and prosper in Greece and how they were centred around city-states, which uh, were called polis, the the plural of polis, which we see so much in today's English words, English language, the word polis, as in metropolis and acropolis, necropolis. The, the polis word means city, and polis is the plural of that word and uh, when we talk about polis we talk about the city-states of Greece such as Athens, Sparta, Thebes, Corinth 
and many, many others. So there were many city-states, and as they grew, competition between these uh, city-states started to become apparent, but not so much on a military level to begin with. Um, initially, on a, on a sporting level, and the Greeks loved their Olympic Games and uh, they were preserved very much, especially during the competitive years of, of ancient Greek city-states. Um, there was an Olympic truce that was declared every time an Olympic Games was due. The city-states of Greece would declare a truce so that these games could take place in relative safety, which is quite amazing. So this date of 776 BCE uh, may just be a traditional date. Uh, it could be the original date, we just don't know. Um, the reason we don't know is because we suspect, rather like the, uh, the, sort of the mythological beginnings of Rome with the story of Romulus and Remus that have been given a, a specific year that that happened, we think that there might have been the same mindset when the Greeks said the Olympic Games started at this particular year. So the motivation to sort of fabricate what they might not have known, what they might not have had a record of, uh, was, to, uh, was to enhance the identity of being ancient Greek or the, the Greek societies being dominant or superior over other societies by having this firmly known tradition. But, of course, you know, on the flip side, it, it certainly could have happened. The first Olympic Games could have happened in 776 BCE. We just don't know. Originally, they were, they were competed for in honour of the Greek god Zeus, who was the king of the Olympian um, pantheon of, of gods, and hence uh, why... The Olympic Games are called the Olympic Games because they were in honour of the Olympian gods, the gods that lived on Mount Olympus, according to Greek tradition. And of course, from that we get the period of time, the four-year period is the Olympiad and um, the, um, the place where the Olympic Games were competed for was named Olympia. While we're discussing etymology, uh, we can also state that um, an athlete is uh, someone who competes in an athlos for an athlon. In other words, a competitor who competes in a contest for a prize, the contest being the athlos and the prize being the athlon. And that's where we get the modern word athlete and athletics from. So it doesn't necessarily mean athletics as in the modern track and field um, way that we refer to athletics as, as the, these days. It's a in ancient Greece, it was a very general term. An athlete was someone who competed in, in any um, physical event, physical sporting event. Now, the, uh, the tradition of uh, athletes at the Olympic Games is that they competed stark naked and uh, the fact that they competed stark naked mean, meant that they most likely trained stark naked as well. And there was a specific area where these naked peoples could gather to train and, and, and even to, to rest and, and recuperate. And uh, this place was called a gymnasium. 
which is, of course, where we get the modern words gymnasium and gymnastics. So, uh, so that is specifically named after the place where the naked males went to train and rest. And uh, this was specifically called a gymnasium because of that. Why did they compete in in the nude? Well, to be honest, ancient uh, ancient societies used to celebrate the physical form of, of of an athlete, so it was seen as a great thing to have a great physique, uh, great physique, and uh, and it was celebrated. And of course, you didn't have people designing these lycra suits that you see athletes and and swimmers and cyclists where nowadays so um, you would compete far better if you just had nothing on and uh, of course this did come with probably a few, one or two problems in terms of the earliest sports that were competed for at the Olympics so we, we of course had like the the you know similar track and field events that we have nowadays with running and uh, you know javelin throwing uh, long jump style events that that kind of thing but there were also combat uh, style events such as boxing and wrestling um there was a, also a later version of a, of what what can only be described as similar to um modern day mixed martial arts um where they it was called pancration and they would uh, compete with open hands so that and it would be a style of combat um Obviously, they had to have some rules. There weren't many rules, but they, they did have to have some rules. And and obviously, competing in the nude obviously made men quite susceptible to a good firm strike in the ghoulies in order to get an advantage, which was not allowed. Um, obviously, of course, eye gouging and, and biting was also not allowed in these combat events. We can also see uh, the art of horsemanship was also... Uh, part of these early ancient Olympic Games as well with uh, chariot racing and horse racing and this would take place in a in a hippodrome with the with the hippo being specifically uh, something that relates to horses uh, so that would always take place in the hippodrome and and that's obviously a tradition that, that has come down to us in, in in things such as dressage in in the modern day. The Olympics was a, a place uh, where you would see um, adult males compete with each other and um, you, the, the, there would be a fair degree of honour for the, for the individuals or the, or the city-states that would uh, offer these individuals for competition. There, there would be a fair share of corruption as well, you know, with people trying to cheat in order to win. But also the victors were celebrated if you won multiple uh, events at, at an Olympics or across multiple Olympics, then you could end up having a statue of yourself um uh, erected on one of the on on one of the thoroughfares leading to the to the um to the site itself so you could achieve that immortalization but it's also interesting to note that there, there does appear to be evidence that there was um a sporting competition event uh, for for uh, women but only it would only be for unmarried women and it wouldn't be a part of the Olympics. It would be a separate tradition uh, in honour of the uh, Greek god Hera. 
and it would it would only be unmarried women that could compete in that. But we don't have a lot of detail about that tradition. The modern race called the Marathon was um, relates back to the Battle of Marathon, which was uh, a place on the um, on the Attica Peninsula, uh, where you can find uh, the modern city of Athens. And um, the the marathon as a race was actually introduced in the modern Olympics. So there was no such race in the ancient Olympics. It was brought into the modern Olympics uh, in honour of the ancient uh, run of Pheidippides, who ran from Marathon to Sparta to bring news that the Persians had landed. We obviously covered the Battle of Marathon in uh, Volume 3. Uh, however, the distance from uh, Marathon to Sparta is uh, well over 26 miles, which is the traditional length of the race in the modern day. Uh, so it, it doesn't relate to the distance whatsoever. There is a little bit of contention about this Pheidippides story. It's whether it, he actually ran to Sparta or not, or whether he ran to Athens and, and declared that um, the Athenians had won at the Battle of Marathon, which which is much nearer to the traditional distance of 26 miles. Um, whether he declared that the, uh, the Athenians had won and then uh, dropped down dead is, is the other potential story. But um, you have to make your mind up uh, based on what you, you know, what you read, what uh, traditional scriptures you read. The tradition of the Olympic Games, um, it did it did stand the test of time, really. When we get into the the second century BCE, of course, that's when the Romans really stamped their authority on the uh, on the on the Balkan Peninsula, and therefore the Olympic Games were really devised under Roman rule, and it really just did depend on who was in charge of Rome and the Roman Empire, the Roman Republic and the Roman Empire, as it would have been the Republic uh, for a period before um, its transition into the Empire. Um, the It depends who was in charge, really, who how seriously the Olympic Games were taken. So, for example, um, before um, the reign of Emperor Augustus, during the years of the Roman Republic, um, the Romans really didn't take... Um, the Olympic Games that seriously. Augustus saw the tradition. He was, he was, Augustus appeared to be an emperor of great tradition and and you know restoring the grandeur of of the Roman Empire and and bringing back the Olympic Games with a bit of splendor would have been uh, something that um, would have would have appealed to him in terms of. Um, in terms of bolstering his imperial image. Um, Nero, I think, presents me with one of my favourite stories about the Olympics when he um, he declared that he should be the winner of every event, which um, which stands to reason when we uh, when we analyse Nero's character, he introduced singing events that um, that he was judged to be the victor of. Um, he, apparently he um, he was thrown off his chariot during the chariot race and, and was still declared the winner. So um, 
in um, in years to come after Nero's death, they uh, they declared that these particular Olympic games should be disregarded because Nero just won everything regardless of what he did, and, and reports of his singing being absolutely terrible made no difference whatsoever. He still won uh, the event, so um, <laughs> quite quite a farcical period for the Olympic Games. Um, the decline of the Olympic Games is is hazy. We we really rely on historical evidence, and we know the Olympics was probably um, not taken as seriously as maybe in some years and others. When particularly when the the greatest men of of the Roman Empire were recalled for military service, for example, and there was no um, you know it wasn't sensible to have an Olympic Games, perhaps either financially or or politically. Um, but uh, there was still a desire to hold these games, and right up until the time of uh, Theodosius, we 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 have evidence of there being some form of games, and um, the um, the com- the com- the competitors would come from different areas of the Roman Empire, so it wouldn't just be like restricted to the the Greek lands, and. Um, also, it's probably fair to say that um, we we know that the games moved from Olympia um, really just because we we have evidence of um, the site being damaged by barbarian invasions as well, which would have been sort of you know in the early fifth century when uh, the lights of Alaric were making their incursions into the Roman Empire and, and eventually attacking Rome uh, with the Visigothic army. So um, that's really the decline of the Olympic Games, but there would, there would have surely have been um, similar competitions taking place, um, but um, not at Olympia. So so that really sort of is the end of the ancient Olympic Games. There's no real sort of evidence of someone declaring this is the last one. It just sort of fizzled out, really. So uh, that's it. That's the ancient Olympic Games. Of course, not revived until the modern Olympic Games uh, in 1896 in Athens. So um, it was, uh, when you think about it, the modern Olympic Games has been running since 1896. It's sort of uh, 125 years now. Um, You think that the ancient Olympic Games were running for for an entire millennium, pretty much. That's quite considerable. But there you go, a little bit of a story about the Olympics. Jeremy Firth has written into the podcast, has put, My wife introduced me to your podcast and I'm listening to the Classical World series right now and I'm really enjoying it. Will you ever be doing a series about the Byzantine Empire? Constantine came from Britain to build the new Rome and established a Christian empire that would last for a thousand years. The history of the Byzantine Empire is rich and very interesting. Justinian the Great built Aya Sophia and was the first emperor to capture all of the laws of the Roman Empire into one collection called the Code of Justinian. Belisarius, who served as the main general under Justinian, is one of the greatest generals of all time. He reconquered all of the lands in the west that had been overrun by barbarians and reunited the Roman Empire one last time. It's truly a remarkable story and I highly recommend you look into it. Well, we did 
we did touch upon that last week, didn't we? How Justinian was able to recapture North African uh, provinces and, and the Italian peninsula, uh, albeit um, somewhat briefly. Uh, but obviously the Byzantine Empire prospered as well and um, it's got a rich history which we'll be exploring as one of the first uh, one of the first stories of Volume 4. We'll also be introducing uh, the Islamic Caliphates and uh, the Ottoman Empire in the sort of first sort of dozen uh, podcast episodes of Volume 4. A bit of a spoiler there. Um, all um, all culminating in the uh, the great fifteenth century um, conflict at Constantinople, which um, is one of probably one of the biggest events towards the end of the medieval period in world history. So, plenty to get our teeth into there, Jeremy. Don't worry about that. We'll be we'll be covering that with. With some degree of uh, with some degree of energy, so um, that's all to look forward to. Hopefully, we'll have all those episodes uh, published uh, certainly uh, this year before the end of twenty twenty one. So, um, thanks for the message, Jeremy, and um, yeah, plenty to look forward to on that on on that level. Reviews um, from J D Murray via Apple Podcasts Australia has put well done, a clear and concise, detailed summary of everything well researched and presented, thanks. Um, from JGDGFCGFKFHKGUVH from the United States of America, I'd probably have a, a think about that name if I were you, has put a thumbs up, five stars, good. And finally, Luke F. Halter, from USA is put didn't know what to expect at first turns out it is spectacular I stumbled upon this podcast trying to find out more about our early human evolution due to the way episode one opened and the podcast quality I was unsure if this was going to be the substance I was looking for but decided to continue listening now after completing the entire volume one I must say that this whole podcast should be a prerequisite for education in the place of history class and and all of the schools worldwide. It is such a straightforward and comprehensive look at our relevant history and presented in a way that most people can understand. I absolutely commend Chris on his efforts and I do consider this one of the most valuable pieces of information podcast thing that I've ever come across. Keep it up. That's um, very high praise, Luke. I can't thank you enough for for such a a warm review. Thank you very much. Uh, Well, that's it for this week. We're going to sign off now. Uh, Next week, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next week yet. We'll uh, we'll leave it as a surprise. Um, We've um, given you a little spoiler about the where we're opening up with Volume Four. So over the coming weeks, I will probably uh, reveal more about what to expect uh, from the medieval world volume and uh, until next week uh, great to uh, link up with you again this week and um, until then be good come to the history of the world podcast.com and join all the other hot worlders on our wide range of social media why not support the podcast by clicking the patreon link or buying me a book and becoming a lifelong member of the History of the World podcast, Illuminati.
Drop me a line at historyoftheworldpodcast.mail.com and let me know what you thought of this week's episode. See you next time.